if you were paying attention to Lisa as she was reading um, the Bible verse in Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 26, you might have noticed the phrase, He became us. And if you were reading from the New King James Version or the King James Version, you might have noticed that phrase. Now, it's the same phrase that we use when we say that clothes or that dress is becoming. That seems to say that Jesus fits us perfectly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will give us wisdom to understand your word today that you will impress on our hearts and our minds to understand and also help us to remember for we ask and pray in Jesus name amen today we are going to be talking about what is Jesus doing it is not the same question as what has he done or what is he going to do the question is what is he doing? And I hope right here in our scripture, are you still in Hebrews chapter 7? Good. That you, sh you, sh that you should see that he is living for us. Do you see that in verse 25? If you can go to 25. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Uttermost there is completely. That come unto God by him. Seeing he is ever living to make intercession for us. Now, I'm reading that us, even though it says them. What is Jesus doing? That, that's what he's doing. He's living for us. If you want to know why he was resurrected, the answer is right there in Hebrews 7. He is living to make intercession for us. It, is it looking, are you still looking in that verse that the intercession is very significant for our salvation? Why is it that? It's because of this intercession that he is able to save us to the ultimate, that is, completely. Now, you might say, how complicated is that? It is not so easy as it is to make me confess that Jesus is my Savior. Well, it is easy. It is Saving me is more difficult as it is to lead me to baptism. It is more difficult to save me than it is to get me to confess to some standard that I might learn in the Bible. Saving me is hard because we are born with great weakness. Our tendencies and our inheritance and even the bad habit we formed are strong and fighting them is difficult. 
So, is there hope for me or for us? There is hope because of the work of Jesus who intercedes for us. Like for you to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And as you turn, I want to um, tell you about uh, an incident that happened to me, I think about 10 years ago. Um, I was babysitting my, my first um, nephew, well, my second nephew, um, that, the son of my, uh, my younger sister. And he was in that age of two years old where he has those busts of energy. And we started playing. And the more we played, the more he wanted. And by the time I knew it, I was tired. I mean, I was worn out. And I said, and he came over and he wanted to do something. And I said, no. And, and he turned to me and he said, you're not my friend. And I looked at him and, I, and it caught me by surprise because he was just you know, starting to talk. But the idea here in John chapter 15, verse 14 well, you are in the right verse, I'm not. <laughs> John 15, verse 14. You know, I want to introduce this idea now in the context of things that you see or hear about. And... Are you there? Wherefore, oh, sorry. Verse 14, and he reads, you are my friend if you do whatsoever I command you. When I read those terrible verses in the Bible, and I don't mean terrible because they're not supposed to be in the Bible. I mean they're terrible because of the news it has for those who those news are going to be affecting. When Jesus said to them, I don't know you, it makes me want to be Jesus' friend. That I want to be his friend and I don't want to hear him say to me, depart from me because I don't know you. And verse, 17, verse 14 says, you are my friend if you do whatsoever I command you. If we move on to verse 15, henceforth I call you not servant. I want to pause right there. In the Bible, 
or I consider myself as a servant of God. And I think you all do too. And if you stop here, you might think that Jesus is saying that we're no longer his friend or his servant. But if we read on, it says, For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friend. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. It seems here that Jesus is talking about not just servant, but a servant plus. That he is moving us from just an ordinary servant to a servant plus. Do you see anything else in that verse? It says, For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friend. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. It is with great uh, privilege that we are given this responsibility to be called a friend of God and for God to share his wisdom and his plan with us. You know, we live in, in I live in North America where um, news travel fast. And um, it's hard sometimes to, to digest what you just heard before the other news comes by. And this is little when it's compared to what is going on in Syria or other places that are experiencing turmoil. So the question might be, what is Jesus doing? Or better yet, what is Jesus doing about the trouble in this world? It is easy for us to be bombarded by all this bad news and be brought down in sadness and in depression. But if you can stay with me for a minute, we'll look at what Jesus is doing about the troubles in this world. But before I move away from that um, verse, the last verse of, um, I mean, the last verse that we read in John 15, verse 15, we can see that he is still our master. Do you see that? And like I said, we are moving from not just servant master relationship to friend servant master relationship. So, as we study and as we study the Bible, we've come across several scriptures that teaches us about what Jesus is doing for us. And all of them are to some large degree illustrated in the sanctuary symbols. If I can um, describe with my words and um, paint with my hand, 
Um, when we look at the sanctuary, if we're looking from afar, we see a big, large rectangle. And as we come closer to it, we see that that rectangle is a wall of cotton. And in that big rectangle is a smaller rectangle that is divided into two apartments. And outside of that sanctuary, or the detention sanctuary, is what we, is where the altar of sacrifice is. Now, today I'm not going to be able to talk about the whole broad aspect of the sanctuary uh, message, but I would like to highlight some um, aspect of it. You see, when Jesus was here on earth, the outer, the outer court of the sanctuary represent his work on earth. He came and died for us. And, and as he moved from that ministry and went to heaven, he entered into the holy place. And I would not dwell too much on the holy place because of the things that he does in the holy place, he still do, he's still doing it for us in the most holy. So let's take a little bit and focus on the most holy place. But before we do that, you might ask, when is, when did Jesus, or how do we know that he is in the holy place? And what time? of the year that we are in. If you could turn with me, but you know what, before we do that, let's actually take a look at Malachi 4. And as we turn into Malachi 4, I want to just um, talk about Malachi, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's just right before Matthew. Malachi 4. And when you have time, you can read it for context. But today we're just going to be looking at verse 4. And verse 4 reads, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded you, commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statute and judgment. I want to focus on the word remember. It will be counterproductive for God to tell us to remember if we don't comprehend. Right? So, we are to remember or to comprehend the law of Moses. The law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. So, comprehension is very, very important. And as we look at this, as we study this, um, what is Jesus is doing? Let us now then turn to um, the book in the Bibles, 
But before we do that, there are some several books that actually describe what Jesus is doing. For instance, the book of Daniel talks a lot about what Jesus is doing. The book of Revelation talks a lot about what Jesus is doing, especially in the sanctuary. And Leviticus is one of those books that talks about what Jesus is doing. So if you can turn with me in, in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. is part of that law of Moses we've been asked to remember. It describes what the high priest did on, on the day of, on one day out of the year. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. And this shall be a statue forever unto you, that in the seventh month of the tenth day of the month, that doesn't mean July 10. This is a Jewish calendar that could be somewhere in September or October, depending on when the barley had become ripe. In the seventh month of the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul, afflict your soul, and do no work at all, whether it be your own country or a stranger who sojourn among you. This verse said, on that one day when the high priest is there, outside where all other people are, that was a day when they were working, weren't working first. And in some way, it was kind of like a Sabbath. And, and what if... There was a Canaanite traveling in Israel that day. Could they work? No. Nobody could. Everyone around had to stop. But they didn't just stop working. Right? They were doing something. You see what they did in verse in, in, in this verse, in Kim J's version, it said they afflicted their soul. That is, they were mourning. Mourning as in they were repenting or being sad about the sin they've committed during the year. How many times they're thinking about how many times they have let God down? Back to the story that I was sharing with you about my nephew. When he said, you are not my friend, or you are not my friend, he's letting me know that I have let him down, that he wanted me to do something so much that he feels like I have let him down. And the Day of Atonement is a day that we can consider how we have let others down and God down. You know, we talk a lot about care and caring, caring for everyone, but what we haven't learned is that everyone lets you down. On the Day of Atonement, that was a day for you to realize how you have let people down. 
a day for you to think, think about how you could have been or what you should have done or how you should be. It was a day for considering that, not just for the purpose of making yourself miserable. Look at the verse 30. For on that day this shall the priest make an atonement for you to do what? To cleanse you, that you may be cleansed from all your sins before the Lord. In other words, the process of what I'm doing here on earth, afflicting my soul, is related to what Jesus is doing in heaven. What he's doing in heaven is cleaning up the church. If you've ever been to a biblical marriage, you probably heard someone reading from Ephesians 5. It talks about how Jesus is going to present his bride to himself as pure and chastised, chastened virgin. I'm combining Ephesians 5 and Revelation, and I, I want you to excuse me on that. Understand the idea that Jesus is clean, cleaning up his church. Jesus is purifying his church. That's what he's doing and what are we supposed to be doing? We are to be afflicting our soul. Now, let us look at some important idea. I'm going back to catch them now. When we talk about what Jesus is doing, it's not just biblical trivia. Jesus required that we cooperate with him. So when we so when he was here on earth preaching the gospel, it was required that people believe him, that they accept him as the lamp of God, that they take that takes away the sin of the world. And if they would not believe him, it was just It wasn't just take it or leave it. It was a real disaster for them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you, but the word I say, they will condemn you. In other words, the light condemns those who doesn't accept it. The very way you cooperate with Jesus when he was on earth is you accept the truth that he has to say. Accept the fact that he is the lamp. But then, when he went up to be a priest, he still requires our cooperation. If he's there to make our prayer effective, to send us the Holy Spirit, he required that we pray, that we ask for the Spirit. He required that we have prayers of confession and repentance, that we on earth cooperating with what he's doing. In other words, it's never been so that God just saved people despise themselves. Now, that can be misunderstood, and so let me clear that up a little bit. You remember when we were reading John chapter 15, verse 14? And we said, he said, if you are my friend, you will keep my commandment. Jesus will not save those 
who are not his friend. It is the requirement that he has that we be his friend, that we obey him and do what he asks us to do. So what about, we've talked about the outer court, the holy place, and let us move into the most holy place. While Jesus is in the most holy place, what does he require of us? Are you still there in in Leviticus verse 30? Let us move on to verse 31. I'm sorry if I said that. You might be in the right verse and I might be telling you the right, wrong thing. So you're still in Leviticus chapter 16. And we just read verse 29. And we're going to be looking at... Verse 30. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you. We just finished reading that. To cleanse you that ye may be clean, clean from all your sins before the Lord. Picking up in verse 31. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you. And ye shall all afflict your soul by a statue forever. Now I'm backtracking myself because I'm relying on this laptop here. <laughs> so, hoping that we are not leaving anything important out, it shall be a sab Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your soul by statute forever. Now understand it and don't, underst and don't understand it wrongly. You can find in the same chapter where it said kill a lamb. But that doesn't mean we are supposed to kill a lamb today. The killing of lamb was a symbol of something that would really happen. That is Jesus really died for us. And I don't want you to get the idea that you really need to put on a sackcloth and ashes and go around with a sad face. That's not what we need to do. This was the symbol, but the reality was described elsewhere. If you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, and I think we spent a little bit of time here, even this quarter in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. And we're looking at verse 5. Isaiah 58, verse 5. 
Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? This is God talking to us. Does God want us to, to cooperate with him? Jesus is cleaning up his church and he wants us to cooperate. Be we don't cooperate well with him by looking miserable and sad. We don't, it's not about looking sad and miserable. Those were the symbols, but what is the reality? Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? What God's looking for is that I will deal with the sin in my life, but He's not asking that I will become self centered in my religion. The truth is, if I put all my focus in overcoming my own weakness, I can discourage myself right into oblivion. So he's given me something to do to help me keep my courage up and my spirit soft. He's asked me also to help others with their difficulties, with their burdens, with their struggles. What God's asking is that we search our hearts, but that we help others who are also searching their hearts and struggling. That's how he works. That's how we work with what he's doing. So we've looked at what we are to be doing in symbols. Now we need to look at what we are supposed to be doing in prophecy. There are other prophets there are other prophets that will show this aspect. Now let's turn to um, Hebrews chapter 5. Back at Hebrews chapter 5. Well, back at Hebrew. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's look at what we ought to be doing as illustrated by Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5. And picking up in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from debt and was heard in that he feared... Sorry, I just lost my place in um, in that. So we just finished reading that verse. So what did what did Jesus do in that verse? What is he doing in that verse? Did he pray? He prayed earnestly. You can see how earnestly he prayed. 
he prayed to him who is able to save him from death. Now, do I need to be saved from death? I need to be saved from death. And it makes sense that I would pray the way Jesus prayed. He was heard in that he feared. Why was the prayer of Jesus answered? If you're still looking in that verse, it was because he lived in a way that showed his reverence for God. Listen to verse 8. Though he, he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. We've seen in symbol that our parts is to search our hearts, to afflict our hearts. We have seen in the prophecy and what we are trying to do is to overcome the sin in our life and help others with their weakness. What we see in the life of Jesus is that the work of agonizing with God leads to character development. And even Jesus, who never seen, had a development of character. Maybe you will ask, how could Jesus have a development of character? It's like this. It's the same way that a pea plant can develop without even having a problem. That is, Jesus could be born having an inheritance of weakness that makes it difficult to do right. But every time he would choose to do right, it will become easier. And by doing right, by suffering temptation and overcoming temptation, it became easier and easier and easier. Except for the devil was allowed to apply more pressure. Harder and harder and harder. Do you realize that the devil is limited in how hard he could put pressure on us? He's only allowed to put pressure on as much as we can handle. It could feel like we are under the gun for a very long time and in a rough. It might feel like we're making no progress at all, when in fact we are growing by leaps and bounds. Jesus grew by victory until he became complete. And that's when he became the author of eternal salvation to those that obey him in verse 9. So this broad sermon is supported by many texts, which I'm not going to be able to do today. However, I want to choose one that is close. One, before we close. And that is also found in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. As you turn to that, let me keep talking. We are talking about what we about what we need to do to cooperate with God. And I want you to understand if the question is, what is Jesus doing about the sins and the disasters on this planet? 
you should know that there are couples of things he's doing. One thing he's doing is that he's preparing a place for us. A city that has foundations. That is, he's preparing a place to take us that is not like this disastrous planet. And while we are still on it, meaning this planet, oh, come on. While we are still on this planet, He is asking us to do something. He's allowed the things that we suffer here to be benefit for us. As they prepare us for a place that he's preparing for us. But the second thing that he's doing is that he's allowing the suffering on this planet to be a foretaste of what is going to come in judgment on those who will never submit to him. Or who will refuse to submit to him. The truth is, the suffering on this planet works a dual purpose. It is, the effect, it is effective in the punishment of those who will reject him. And it's effective in the development of those who will accept him. I don't say that all suffering fits into one of those two categories. There's certainly is much senseless suffering of those of people in this planet. But God is doing something to bring it to an end. He is working to purify his church so that he can bring it to an end. Making a better place so that we can bring so that he can bring it to an end. While we are here, we're not to view this earth as our home. We can relate to what's going on by considering this place as a place of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. A place of pilgrimage is a place you go for a while and then you leave. Are you still there in Hebrews chapter 11? Will you mind turning to verse 13? It reads, these all die in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. That is, those who describe themselves as strangers and pilgrims said that they are looking for a country that is more permanent. Verse 15, and truly, if they have been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to, to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore? God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared for them a city. If the question is, what is Jesus doing? The answer is a number of things. He is preparing a city for us. A city that we don't have to consider. This painful world as our own. He's answering our prayers and sending his spirit. And comforting us and encouraging us. Because otherwise we will get discouraged and just give up. And just quit along the way. But some people are getting discouraged and quitting along the way. And I think, and I think we might even know some people that are getting discouraged and giving up and quitting along the way. And what he said in our days is for us to cooperate with him. By, by as in we are holding up the hands that hangs down. By lifting up those people, those feeble knees, knees, by giving them some place to sit but steady. I'm saying we are to break the yokes and lift the heavy burdens. We are to undo the oppression that is going on. That's how we are cooperating with what Jesus is doing. Then what is he doing? He's working to purify the church. But don't think for a minute that these three works are unrelated. Because while we are serving others, that's, that's when it's best for him to purify our hearts. While we are seeking to put away our sins, that's when he's able to best show what's needed to be done. It's while we're considering this world to be a place of pilgrimage and not our home that he's best, that's when he's best able to change the way we think when we make our priorities. The work that he's doing fits us. Such a high priest has become us. That is, he fits us Perfectly, And because he ever leaves, he is able to save us to the utmost. Amen.